Judges chapter 7 tonight. Judges chapter 7. No new judges yet, but does anybody know who all the judges are so far? I want to say them. Alright, Daniel, go ahead. You're ready to go. Excellent. So let's say it together. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon. So we are in Judges chapter 7. And last week we saw the story of how God chose Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites and the Amalekites. And Gideon, you know, coming from an idolatrous family, he had some faith problems, kept asking for signs. Uh, it wasn't enough that God said, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to do this. He's like, I want to show, I want to sign that shows that you're with me. And God was merciful. God granted Gideon his request, but we ought to know better. We learned, we looked at that. And so now in chapter seven, though, it's time to get the job done. Gideon's got 32,000 men that he's recruited to go fight this multitude. And 32,000 men is a good sized army. But, you know, in reality, it's still not enough. It's still not enough to beat this multitude, but we're going to see that this army was still too big for God. It was still too big for God to use. And so notice what it says in verse 1. It says, Then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. And I particularly like the story, and I was enjoying studying this story, because this place was at the well of Herod, um, that I actually went there when I was in Israel. I, uh, I went to the spot where they believe all this took place. Uh, they have what they call the Cave of Gideon there, where there's like this pool of water. There's a stream that comes from it, and they believe that... This uh, that very well could be the area where Gideon chose his men. I don't know for sure if that's it, but either way, it was pretty cool uh, going there, seeing that, thinking about it. Got my picture taken, you know, uh, kneeling down like a warrior would have, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. You know, taking a drink of water. I didn't actually drink the water. I was afraid it might not be good to drink, but either either way, uh, it looked it looked good for the picture, but. Um, it, it was interesting. And as I was studying the Bible, it was, it was kind of neat seeing this because I was really able to kind of put, visualize some of the things that it talks about here. And it just, I kind of have a new image and a new picture in my head of the story after being there. And it kind of helps me understand a few things. But right here, we see how God tells Gideon there's too many. And he said, the reason that there's too many is because if I give the Midianites into your hand with this army that they have. Israel might think, we did this. We were just that good of warriors. We were that good of soldiers that even though we were greatly outnumbered, we defeated the Midianites. And right here, we get a good look into the heart of God because notice how God couldn't use the thousands even though it was still unlikely that they would win You know, with this kind of mismatch going on. But God wanted to leave no doubt that this victory was won by him. And that just kind of reminds me and helps us understand why God has made salvation the way he did. Because think about this. You know, one, one of the reasons salvation is what we teach, without rehashing all of that, is because the truth is anything less than perfection to get into heaven 
it would be God compromising on his holiness. And God cannot compromise on his holiness. So uh, anything less than that, if it was just being a good person according to the world's definition or even the church's definition, then you know that would be God compromising on his holiness. Also, if it's if we are able to contribute in any way, you know, if it's the blood of Christ plus some form of works, any any way you want to look at it, then we would be able to take some credit and take away from the Son of God who actually made the sacrifice. And people do. They, they think that's so strange. You know, no work. Surely you have to do something. Well, not, not if God can't compromise on His holiness and not if all glory is going to go to Jesus Christ who paid for the sins of the world. So, that right there are two really good reasons. And so, what we see here in the story, God puts Gideon in an impossible situation where all he's able to do is have faith. And, and we're going to see later... God ends up doing some things for Gideon to show him, I'm gonna, you know, you're gonna win this battle. But Gideon didn't ask for those things. God just did it. And again, God, I believe, will reveal things in our life. After a person gets saved, God will do things to just manifest himself in your life, to make himself more real in your life. But you should never go to God saying, I need you to do this first before I'm gonna believe what you tell me. But I, I believe if you will believe what God tells you, at some point, he will do things like that. And that's what he's going to do here. And so God put Gideon in a possible situation where he can only have faith. And that's exactly what the law does. The, the law of God, it shows us an impossible situation. Here's what, here's what you need to do in order to go to heaven. And you know what it does? It causes us to have nothing that we can do except call out for God's mercy. To just go to God for, for mercy, for grace, for redemption, it, it, may, it puts us in a position where all we can do is have faith in Christ. And so that's what happened here. With 32,000, even though that's, I still wouldn't say that's big enough, obviously there was still some possibility they could win, even in that situation. So God said, no, I'm putting you in an impossible situation. And he took them down to 300. No way you can win in that situation against a multitude like this. And so this way, all glory goes to God. And that's the way it should be. So verse 3 says, Now therefore go to and proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And now, and keep, keep in mind, the first test that they gave is anyone who's fearful and afraid. And keep that in mind because that's going to come into play later. But understand too, you know, God can't use people who don't trust Him. And God had already done enough in the past that these people shouldn't have been worried. I mean, I get it. This is a new generation, but this is also a nation. And that nation was supposed to pass down the stories from the previous generation. They should have known all about what God did to Pharaoh in Egypt. They should have known about the Red Sea. They should have known about the wars that were won with Moses. They should have known about the wars that were won with Joshua. They should have known about the wars that were won with Deborah and with, uh, you know, uh, with Othniel and with Ehud that were not that long before. They should have known about all these things. And so when they get a word from the Lord that I'm going to deliver the Midianites in your hand, they should have been like, this is going to be exciting. You know, 
I mean, obviously, we're still greatly outnumbered, but God said we're going to win. I can't wait to see how He does it. Because, you know, I mean, while God opened a sea, you know, is He going to open a sea again and, you know, make it come on Him? Or is He going to do like at Jericho or make some walls fall down? I mean, what's God going to do in this situation? Look at all the things He's done in the past. That should have been their attitude. And so when Gideon says anyone that's fearful and afraid, you know, there should have been nobody that went home. But you know what? There was 22,000 people that went home, still leaving, still leaving 10,000. And, you know, that it's, it's now even less possible to win. But it's still too big of an, of an army to God. And so, it says in verse 4, um, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down under the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men, but all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go down every man into his place. And, you know, there's, you know, it's a little confusing exactly what it's talking about here, but what most people believe it's saying here is, you know, you had some people that literally got down flat and just kind of stuck their face in the water like a dog, but then what they believe the ones who uh, put their hand to their mouth, they were like ones who just kneeled down, scooping up the water, drinking. And, you know, one can only speculate why God did it this way. But, you know, the important thing is that we get is God only wanted a select few. And so that's what God chose. I'm not, you know, I don't know if we can go as far as to say that, you know, these people are just terrible people because of how they drank the water. You know, and I've heard some people say, well, you know, the people who use their hand like that, you know, that was their way of, you know, taking a drink of water, but still keeping a watchful eye. And, you know, and my thought, too, was always like, well, you know, what do they really need to watch for? Wouldn't somebody see them coming? But then, you know, after I thought about the location and where it was at, and even though I'm sure a lot has changed in the terrain out there and everything, that water was actually at the base of a mountain you know, in that's in this valley, which is where that army was. And so uh, that army would have been, you know, out there. And so there could have been trees, you know, somebody could have popped up. And so, you know, after I, you know, having been out there now, I can kind of put it in perspective and I, I can see why that kind of makes sense. And so maybe it's just, uh, he's picking the most vigilant men. I don't know. Either way, I just think God wanted 300. And so we've got 300 people. I don't think we really need to say anything negative about these other 9,700 men. But notice, uh, or so verse 8 says, So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man into his tent, and retained those 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And so notice, Gideon has not asked for any more signs. You know, when you look at the last chapter and then you look at this chapter and God's taking Gideon's army down to 300, you know, you think you'd be like, uh, are you sure about this, Lord? I need another sign. You know, I need to do something really cool this time. But no, he didn't ask for any more signs. And so I think it's also important to notice that these 300 men also had a great deal of faith. 
I mean, think about that. 300 guys. You know, if I'm one of those guys that drank the water right, and then I see he sends 97 more people home, I'm like, well, wait a minute. I wasn't scared when there was 32,000, but now that we're down to 300, I'm kind of scared. Can I go home now? <laughs> but, but you know, they didn't do that. So these guys were obviously, you know, very brave men or just men of great faith. So verse 9, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered them into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go down with Purah, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say. And afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Purah, his servant, and unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. Now, what, what's about to happen here? Remember, Gideon's not the one asking for a sign. But God just tells Gideon, hey, if you're worried about what's going to happen, here's, here's what I want you to go. I want you to take one of your men. I want you to go sneak down there. I want you to go spy on them. I want you to listen to what's being said. Because what we're about to see here all of a sudden helps us understand the battle strategy that God gave for Gideon to do and why it worked. And there's an important lesson that we, there's an important life application that we can get from this. So watch this in verse 12. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell, and overturned it, and the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. So what Gideon sees there is he sees people talking amongst the camp who were convinced they were going to lose. Now, you might think, well, why did these people think they were going to lose? Well, for one, they didn't know there was only 300 people. But, but two, remember all the armies, remember Jericho? How when Israel first saw Jericho, I mean, they trembled. They fainted. But then, after they learned their lesson, after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and they go and they send those spies in there, what did Rahab the heart tell them? Like, the people here are fainting because of you. You know why? Because they had more faith in their God than Israel did. And so, what we see going on here, it's like these enemies, I think they've probably heard the stories of, of the great deliverances God had done for Israel. And they, were, and they probably had it in their head. You know, these people, there's not that many of them. There's way more of us than there are of them. But they tend to win some pretty big battles. God's always doing miracles with these people. They've got this incredible history. And then God, I believe, gives one of these men a dream. And, that, and, the, the, and then another man understands the interpretation of the dream and says, this is the sword of Gideon. We're going to lose the battle. And so while this is a dialogue between two men, we see here in the story too that what's going on here with these two guys is something I believe is going on with all the Midianites. What has happened is God has put fear in their hearts. 
That's what's going on right here. So they don't know it's only 300 people. You know, they're, I mean, I don't even know that they would have known it was 32,000. Either way, they just, it's in their hearts. We're probably going to lose this battle. That's, and that was put in their hearts by God. So keep in mind that the Midianites are scared and Israel now is all fired up and excited. And so, um, verse 16, and he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So I want you to try to picture in your minds a, a night, it's nighttime. There's a multitude of people who already have fear in their hearts thinking we're going to lose the battle. I mean, they've got camels like the seashore. If they're going up against 300 guys, they should be able to just stampede all 300 of them and the battle's over. I mean, this should be an easy battle, but they don't know this. They have fear in their hearts put there by God. And so Gideon, with just 300 men, they've got trumpets, they've got pitchers, they've got torches. And so the thing is too, if you're this massive army, you're not expect, you know, you're not, you're not uh, going to be too worried about uh, 300 people. It's like, you know, 300 people could sneak up a little bit where you're thinking if somebody's going to sneak up on us, it's going to be this massive multitude and they're not going to be able to get too close. But 300 people in, in uh, three groups of 100, they could get pretty close without them realizing it. And then if all of a sudden you smash the pitchers, if all of a sudden you, you, know, you start sounding the trumpets, if all of a sudden they start yelling the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, which what was it that that guy had a dream about? What did they, the interpretation, this is nothing but the sword of Gideon. And so what do they start doing? It's like if your kid is scared of the boogeyman, you know, and then you just start saying boogeyman or you know, something, you know, and they, they freak out. When, when Tommy was little, he was terrified of Talking Tina from the Twilight Zone. Anybody ever seen Talking Tina from the Twilight Zone? Okay, nobody in here is as carnal as we are, okay? Uh, the, the Harshmans, they know Talking Tina. All right, so we're not the only carnal ones. But he was terrified of her. Okay? And I, I, I remember, you know, the Twilight Zone song, the do, 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 do. I would just sing Talking Tina, Talking Tina, and he would freak out every time. We, we were at a playland one time at McDonald's and he was up on the top of the slide. And you know how when you talk to there, you can hear everything. And he was up at the top and I just, I just went down there and said, talking Tina, talking Tina. And he freaked out and like come flying down the slide. He was so scared. <laughs> that was all I had to do to freak him out. <laughs> I, I, I can embarrass him since he's not here. But that's how these people are. They're terrified of the sword of Gideon. And so what, what do they, what do these guys do? They terrify him when they all start yelling, the sword of the Lord of Gideon. They start smashing pitchers, blowing trumpets. They don't know it's only 300 of them. And they hear this shout, yelling the thing that they were most scared of. And so in verse 19, it says, So Gideon and the 300 men that were with him came into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands. 
and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they took every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. And so mass panic immediately breaks out, which can be a very deadly thing. I mean, look what happens in these nightclubs and things sometimes. Whenever there's a panic and there's a stampede, and a lot of people can die from this. And I, you know, I can only imagine, it's hard to imagine what it would have sounded like just hearing the pitchers break, you know, to hear 300 people yelling this, to see the torches. But while it's, it's really hard for us to picture exactly what that sounded like and looked like, here's what it did. It terrified these people. This is basically what they did. They scared them to death is literally what they did. These people had so much fear in their hearts from God that all they had to do was these little things, just breaking pitchers, get some torches, yell the sword of the Lord and Gideon, blow some trumpets, and they just immediately flee. And so it says the 300 blew the trumpets and the Lord set every man's sword against his own fellow, even though, even throughout all the hosts and the hosts fled to Bethshitta and Zerath and to the border of Abel-Meholah unto Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of all Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. So in their panic, they just take off running and start fighting each other. And again, it's nighttime. They don't even know what's going on. But they think a multitude's coming after them. And so because they think this multitude's coming after them and it's dark, they're not prepared. You know, as soon as they see another soldier, you know, they're just, they're swinging at them and everybody's, everybody's killing each other. Cause think about it. 300 guys, even if all, if those thousands would have just stood there, you know, you're not, they're not going to have the strength to just kill that many people with a sword. But yet, and, and that's just another amazing thing about the fact that they even did this battle. And, but again, they, they trusted in God and these people end up killing each other. And so it says, And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim saying, Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters under Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters under Bethbara and Jordan. And they too took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock uh, Oreb and Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side, Jordan. So this victory is clearly 100% of God and God's method of defeating these people was basically causing them to destroy themselves through fear. And so if I can just preach a little bit now, you know, kind of use all this as, as intro I just want to preach to you the subject about you know not fighting in fear, okay? not fighting in fear. There are times where we need to fight battles. We're all we're always supposed to be fighting a battle. But I'm telling you right now, when you are in a state of fear, you are not going to be an effective soldier. When you are in a state of fear, you are you are going to make a lot of mistakes. You're probably going to do more harm than you're going to do good. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the first people that God removes from the army are people who had fear. You know why? Because God was going to use fear to defeat this other army, and so He doesn't want to use fear with the people who already have a problem with fear. And this is, this is a serious thing. And so, you know, the big question, though, you know, is, is all fear sinful? Okay? And obviously not all fear is sinful. We should have the fear of the Lord. We all understand that. But at the same time, too, you know, if 
I go out to my car tonight and somebody holds me up with a gun. You know, do, do I have the right to be scared? I mean, well, of course you should get scared a little bit, you know. And if you get an opportunity, run, you know, panic, you know, do something, scream. I mean, you know, obviously there are situations where it only makes sense to have fear and you're not, you know, a bad Christian. You know, if you found out somebody kidnapped one of your children, you're going to freak out. Okay, that's, that's, that's fine. But here's where we don't have any right to fear. All right? We have no right to fear in areas where God's giving us, given us promises. Okay? Turn over to Genesis chapter 15. Turn Genesis chapter 15. There are, there are some areas where it is, it's very sinful to have fear. But it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield an exceeding great reward. Now, God says this to Abraham or Abram right after he had seen some great battles and after some you know victories. And Abram, he's getting old, and it says, and Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham, Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So, first off, Notice how God had told Abraham back in Genesis 12 how he was going to make of him a great nation. Did God not promise Abraham that? But you know, now in chapter 15, several years have passed. Abraham has gotten even older and Abraham has no children. So, you know, we can kind of, let's just admit it, we can kind of understand why Abraham was starting to wonder if God was going to keep his promise. Because God said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And then here we've got, where all these years later, Abraham's old, his wife's old, and he still doesn't have any kids. And so, you know, and what does God do? God just keeps waiting until it's impossible, doesn't he? He waits till Abraham's 100, till Sarah's 90, and then he decides to let Sarah get pregnant. Again, that's the way God often does things. God takes impossible situations where we have no choice but to trust him. And so, when God's speaking to Abraham here, and he says, fear not... He's speaking too about him fulfilling this promise. Because after these battles and things Abraham saw, Abraham's just kind of looking around and he's thinking, I'm getting old. A lot of stuff is going on in, in the world right now. A lot of battles being fought. I don't see how I'm ever going to be able to get this nation, you know, be a great nation like God said. But God told Abraham not to fear. And thankfully, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. He believed what God said even though God hadn't fulfilled it yet, even though God had not given him a child yet. And sure enough, God did it. And so uh, we have no right to fear in areas where God has given us promise. Now, I have never been promised by God that I will never get held up and shot. So again, if somebody's pointing a gun at my face, I'm allowed to get a little scared because I don't know what it's like to get a bullet in the head. I don't want to find out what it's like. I don't want to die uh, before I'm ready. And again, so you're not sitting in that situation, you know, and understand too, in this situation with Gideon and his army, God had told them, I'm going to deliver them into your hands. So they shouldn't be scared. 
at this point because God has given them a promise. You know, and so it's okay for me to fear for my life. It's okay for me to be, you know, fear pain in a dangerous situation. And as long, and it's, as long as I'm not fearing for those things that God has already given me promises for. That's what I can't fear. And I shouldn't fear that if something bad, you know, or uh, I shouldn't just be sitting around fearing that those things might happen. You know, like obviously I don't ever want to get tortured. Okay? But at the same time too, should I sit around like, man, I'm really worried one of these days, you know, the Muslims are going to take over. No, I shouldn't be fearing that right now. Okay? Now, if one of these days the Muslims get me, uh, you know, you know, and then, and, you know, and they tie me up and, you know, bring out the knives or whatever, you know, then I can, you can get a little freaked out. I, you know, th- that's fine. But, you know, I should, but I also shouldn't fear that if something bad happens to me, that all things won't work together for good. I shouldn't fear that. I shouldn't fear, you know, that God's just going to let my family starve if I die or something bad happens. So, you know, I shouldn't fear things that are likely not going to happen, like me getting captured by the Muslims and tortured. Okay, uh, I, I shouldn't fear that. You know, Matthew six thirty four says, "Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof." So, folks, anything can happen. Okay, you could you could get cancer eventually. You could get you know COVID. You could get uh, I don't know. You know. There's a million ways to die. There are. There's a million ways to die. There's a million things you can fear uh, that could happen. My wife's always dreaming up all kinds of new ways that we could all die and get killed. And you know, she's always thinking, you know, talking about kids and fiery car crashes and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, it's just normal as a parent to have some of those concerns and things. But you know, when when we let that fear get us off our game. You know, when we let that fear cause us to backslide on God, when we let it cause us to not do, do something we're supposed to do, that's a real problem. And when you are called to fight a battle, when it comes time for action, when it comes time to do what God's told you to do, I'm telling you, you are not effective if you're, if, if you're scared and you need to get over that. You know, don't give up. You know, again, if, if somebody, you know, I mean, how many of you the first time you went soul winning probably were a little scared? You know, I mean, hey, that's okay. But again, did that stop you from going out? You know, we can't always help, you know, what enters our heart. But, you know, we can't help what we do. And there's a lot of people out there that have never gone soul winning because they're scared of what might happen. And so, you know what we have to do? Just don't be scared. You know, and it's easy to say, but I'm telling you, what do you do? You, you just do it. And you know what? When I go out soul winning, I don't want to get chewed out. I don't want to get cussed out. I don't want to be, you know, disrespected. I don't want to deal with belligerent people. I don't want to deal with some people's crazy dogs. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I've never actually been, I have been bitten, but by like really little ones that barely hurt. You know, it doesn't even count. You know, I, I haven't, I haven't been bitten yet to where it like penetrated the skin. Okay. But I, I did have one bite me in the ankle one time and it just made me mad. But I wanted to kick that dog so bad. One of these little yap dogs. But, you know, you know, again, those things might happen. Just don't let it stop you. Don't ever let it stop you from doing what you're supposed to do. Because we have been called to fight a battle. We've been called to go out and reach the lost and win souls. And when you let fear stop you from doing what you're supposed to do, when you let it affect you, it, it will make you ineffective. And so just don't be afraid. Another thing too, 
We need to make sure we don't fear the enemies. Get Deuteronomy 1.21. says, Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers has said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. Understand, when God said to go possess the land, it wasn't as simple as just like going up there and taking it. No, that meant defeating the armies. That meant, yeah, that meant going to battle. That meant facing off against enemies. And when God told him to do it, God told, specifically said, fear not. And, um, and you know what? Being afraid of your enemies is not going to help. And I get it. I mean, if I fought a battle, I don't want people swinging back with the sword. I don't, want pe- I don't want people shooting back at me. But folks, there are some things that we have been called to do as Christians where we are going to have enemies. We have been called to go out and preach the Gospel to every creature. And you know what God never promised? God never promised no enemies. God never promised there wouldn't be people that would badger us, be belligerent. God didn't promise there wouldn't be any uh, housing complex leaders with authority issues. And oh, by the way, that one that, call, that uh, contacted me the other day, I, I don't know if I mentioned it in church, but I had one contact me the other day and I might have had some fun with them and you know, basically told them, I'm not going to listen to you. They called the cops. Uh, the cops called me and then I had some fun with the cops and told them that um, I, I wasn't going to listen to them either. Of course, we're already done there and have no intention of going back anytime soon. But you know, I got originally got emailed from the lady. I looked her up. She is exactly what you would expect. Some freakish looking, you know, lesbian witch type. Just, I mean, she looked exactly like who you would expect to have an authority complex, to have a problem with churches, all that kind of stuff. I was just like, as soon as I saw her Facebook, I'm like, yep, it all makes sense now. We were getting discriminated against. Some pure discrimination, folks. I have no doubt about that at all. And, you know, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to sue them. No, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, and, and eventually, you know, probably not sooner than I was originally planning because I wasn't planning to go in there. I'll probably, I'll probably go there again eventually. I'll warn everybody. They're going to call the cops next time. But you know what? People like her, she won't even be there a couple of years from now. It'll, it'll be a new one. And then we'll go there. We'll get another phone call. And, but we'll already be done. And, and here's the thing too. This is what the cop threatened us with. If you go back, you're going to get asked to leave and that and you'll be officially banned. And then if we go back again, after we get an official ban, we'll get cited for trespassing. It's just like, ooh, ouch. That hurts really bad. Because, listen, if we go there, it's going to take a while for the cops to get there to get rid of us anyway. And then we're going to get banned. Well, guess what? We're done <laughs> at that point. So, uh, you know. The, these things are fun, and but you know, some people hear stuff like that and it freaks them out. Okay, what are we supposed to do? Just don't fear. Just don't fear. Don't let it affect you. Just you know, wh- you know what do you do? Well, you know, I had. A, I remember there was a situation one time. We were knocking doors in Rockford. We were in a rough area, and I was with someone. They're not here at the church anymore, but I remember there was a you know a group of. I guess I don't need to mention their race, but you know there was a group of people. Um, Standing out there, kind of rough looking, drinking, you know, and I remember, you know, and they were being a little, little wild, and we were just about to finish up the one street run, we were going to cross over and go to that, and he was just like, do you think we ought to even, even do that house? I was like, 
that'll be fine. We'll just, you know. And honestly, I was a little concerned because it was. It was a rough-looking group. It was all drinking. Okay? That can be a recipe for disaster. But I'm just like, you know, I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm not going to let it affect me. And so we did. We went over there, and guess what? Almost all of them, when we came over there, left. They, most of them ran off and left. And you know what? There was about three of them that stayed, and I talked to them. Eventually, it kind of got to where I was just kind of talking to the one. The other ones kind of snuck off, but I got one of the guys saved. You know, what, what did I do? I just didn't fear. And then, you know what? They all got scared because, you know, they didn't want to, they didn't want to listen to the preacher. But that, you know, that's the, you know, that's the, that's what you just have to do. Just, just don't fear. Just, just do it. Just do what God told you to do. You know, God didn't send us out there in that area to go soul winning for me to just see a group of people and ignore them. And I'm not saying, too, I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever use discretion. You know, it was one of those deals where I was pretty sure we were going to be okay. You know, if you've got your kids with you, if you've got, if it's ladies, you know, by all means, use discretion. But I was, I was, I felt like it would be fine. And it was. And so, I'm not telling you to go just purposely put yourself in dangerous situations. But, but anyway, uh, 1 John 4.3 says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and now is already in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So, our enemies that we have that are opposition to what God has called us to do, to the battle that God has called us to fight. There's plenty of battles that I can fight in this world and lose. You know, if it comes to just fighting a battle with my neighbor over something stupid, if it, you know, fighting a battle with another church member over something stupid. When it comes to just foolish things we all get involved in, I'm not guaranteed any victories there. But if it's something, if it's something God has called us to do, you know what? We are the stronger ones. Gideon and his 300, they were stronger than the Midianites and the Amalekites because they had God with them. And when we are out doing God's work, doing the will of God, we are stronger than blue-haired apartment managers. We are stronger than, you know, gangbangers drinking. We are stronger than any, any of these people out there. And so, you know, and that's why too. You know, I have no problem just preaching when I preach, live streaming it, knowing there's people out there just looking for me to say something that they can try to use against me to stir up the mob against me. You know, do I care for that? Not really. You know, I prefer everybody to just like me and nobody ever say anything negative about me. But at the same time too, I've been commanded to preach the Word of God and not to fear. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to get up. We're going to preach the Word of God. We're going to talk about queers. It's going to make people mad. People are going to throw a big hissy fit. And it's like, oh well. And you know what? Everything's fine. Every, every, everything's fine. We've not, been, we've not been negatively affected. So, we ought to understand too that fighting in fear, it's going to cause you to fight the wrong people. And that's what happened. These people are scared and they start fighting, but they're fighting all the wrong people. A lot of people, they are, that's what gets them to fight is fear. You know, when they get scared, they fight. But a lot of, th when, when you fight in fear, you end up fighting the wrong people. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 1, the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And let me tell you something. When, there, there is no boldness 
in just calling someone out who isn't in the room to answer for themselves. Okay, and especially when you're in a room full of people who are going to go along with whatever you say. That is the easiest thing in the world for me to just get up here in a congregation with people that agree with me and just like, I'm going to call out John MacArthur today. I'm calling him out. Well, good. You're going to rile your church up, but John MacArthur's probably not going to hear a word you said. <laughs> he doesn't watch your channel. And he doesn't, he doesn't pay attention to your preaching. He doesn't know who you are. And even if somebody shares a clip with him, he'll probably look at it and be like, okay. You know, <laughs> I called him out. I ain't scared of nothing. But at the same time, too, you know, when it comes to, you know, that some people who are quick to do things like that to get public attention for themselves are afraid to just give people a phone call. I was just talking to somebody this week about how there's this, there's this one, you know, there's this one particular college that anytime anybody from that world gets mad at me, you can't get any of them to talk to you about it, find out what's going on. Listen, when I went post-trib, I had, I had multiple people who called me up and rebuked me in a loving way. And we talked about it. I gave them my two cents. They gave me their two cents. And you know what? We're still good friends to this day, even though we disagreed. But then when it comes to everybody I was friends with at this other college, ghosted. And these people have the most negative opinion about me. And I'll find, I end up finding out, you know, later, I'll, I'll, you know, there's been people, I thought we were still friends. And then you just find out they just have these horrible, hard feelings against you. I'm just like, why didn't you call me? You know why? They're scared. You know why? Because their position's weak. Because they can't defend themselves. But you know, me, you know, my big sin that I did was I actually showed up to one of their events, you know, at their invitation to actually talk about some of these things. I'll, I'll face off with anybody when it comes to these things. You know why? Because I believe I'm right. I've been told not to fear. And so the last thing I'm going to do when it comes to a doctrinal position I take, when it comes to some kind of stand that I take, if somebody challenges me and wants to know more, I, I don't want to talk to you about it. Let's talk about it. You know, let's have a conversation about these things. And I've, I've been amazed and I've been disappointed at all the people that are so willing to just talk about you, but they will not talk to you. That's lame. That's weak. And you shouldn't be that way. There is no boldness in that. And then what a lot, and what, and what, but what do people do when they get scared? They just start fighting all the wrong people. Just start, just start attacking everyone. And I've seen it over and over again with people too who, you know, I've had, I've had personal problems with and I've confronted them personally, privately about it, but because they knew I had an issue with them. It, it freaked them out. And so then they just went and, you know, on these rampages and it ends up backfiring on them and making them look bad. What, what happened? Dude, you got freaked out and you started fighting when there actually wasn't anybody swinging a sword at you. But, and then, you know, there's, I mean, I've seen it happen too, where it ends up stirring up junk in the person's own church. It's like, listen, never fight in fear. You're not effective. When you're fighting that way, it's going to cause you to fight the wrong people. And so, 
Another thing you need to understand too is fearful. It does mean faithless. And remember, God's all about faith. In Revelation 21, 8, we all are familiar with this verse. It says, but the fearful and unbelieving. Okay, and fearful. All right, why, why did it say that? I mean, I, guess I get scared sometimes. Okay, does that mean that lady who freaks out when she sees a spider, she's the fearful and she's going to go to the lake of fire for that? Is, you know, is that what this is talking about? No, but the fearful and unbelieving. Isn't it interesting how they put those two, two things first? Fearful and unbelieving. And then it goes on to say, and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And you know what? Many people are fearful of hell, and, but they refuse, and it's because they refuse to have faith and put their trust in Christ. And let me tell you, it, you know, I don't know if you can be saved you know, and be scared to death of hell. I mean, if, if you are like, I'm just I'm so afraid I'm going to go to hell. And I would just say, I don't think you're saved. Because if you believed on Christ, then you would know I'm saved. And, I don't, and God keeps his promises. So the thing is, you know, 100% of people who go to hell will be guilty of those first two things. The first two things, you know, 100% of people will be guilty of the last thing too. Everybody's told a lie before. But, you know, not everybody that goes to hell, you know, will be a murderer or a whoremonger or a sorcerer or idolater. But every one of them will be fearful and unbelieving. Every single one of them. That, that 100% of people that go to hell will be guilty of those things. And what we're supposed to do when we are confronted with the truth about hell, you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to realize it's an impossible situation. There's no way I can avoid hell on my own. But I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe what He said about His Son, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to put my faith in Him. And if you're putting your faith and your trust in Him, you're not going to fear. You're not going to fear going to hell. And you know, in the, in the Twitter world, they the IFB sermon clips crowd, they get so triggered by the song, I'm not going to hell. I, I find it laughable how triggered they get by that song. And it's not even necessarily my favorite song. It's just the style. It's not typically my favorite. But you know, I, I like the song. I've thought about singing it before in church just to trigger them. But... It's like, why do you people get mad about people singing about not going to hell? And like all these people too, when they sing about not going to hell, they look like they're really excited and that they are 100% convinced that they're not going to hell. Now, it's like they look at that and they scoff and they think, how can these people be so sure of that? Here's why. Because unlike you, they don't believe in work salvation. Unlike you, they believe the gospel. They believe that it is without works. They believe they are eternally secure. And so when, you know, they're able to get up and with great joy and in total sincerity sing, I'm not going to hell. And the fact that it triggers them, it just shows me these people are still fearful of it. You know why? Because they're unbelieving. Because they don't believe the true gospel. So being fearful is a very, is a very bad thing and it will make you very ineffective in, in your fight. And so we see throughout the Bible what a great sin it is for us not to trust in God. And fear is a great sin when it's in the wrong place. And every one of us are going to experience fear in our life at some time that's not necessarily bad. But we should, anytime we experience any kind of fear, no matter what, every time we should always check ourselves. 
in that situation to make sure because what what we're doing when we check ourselves is we are making sure we're good with God. You know, and, and what that's going to cause us to do is call on Him, rely on Him, which is what, what, he, what he wants. And so every time we feel fearful and let, um, you know, have fear in our hearts, it's, it's a bad thing. And the fear of God, which is good, that's always going to cause us to run to Him. Anytime we feel any kind of fear, it's going to cause us to run to Him. That's, that's what you do. What, do. what do kids do when they get scared? They run to mom and dad. And even though kids are scared of mom and dad when they're doing bad. And so anytime we feel fear, if you can't run to God, you know what that means? That means you're in the wrong. You're doing, you're doing something sinful. And so that needs to be just your go-to. That needs to be our reflex. When we get scared, it, we run to God. And if you can't run to God, that means you're probably in sin and you're fearing something that you shouldn't fear. So don't ever fight in fear. We don't, we don't need to fear when it comes to the battles that God has called us to fight. And folks, we're going to win. We are going to win the fight when it comes to souls. When it comes to souls for Christ, even if we die, we're going to win. We're going to overcome him, the devil by the blood of the lamb, because we love not our lives even to the death. We've, we've got this battle won. We have the promise of it. So let's go ahead and do it and do it without fear. So with that, let's pray, dear Lord. I thank you so much for this wonderful chapter and the inspiration that we get from it. I pray, dear Lord, that you will help us to uh, be like Gideon and his men were in this story. Help us to just have that boldness. And uh, when we find ourselves in an impossible situation, to just put our faith and trust completely in you. And I pray that you'll help us see some great victories as a result. In your name we pray. Amen.